that bad wolf, while maybe it doesn't need to be fed, it needs to be acknowledged at least. I think when we ignore that dark side, that's kind of when trouble starts to bubble up. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Thanks for joining us. Our guest on this episode is John Worster, an American musician and humorist best known as the drummer for indie rockers Superchunk, Bob Mould, and the Mountain Goats. He's also known for his comedic work with radio host Tom Sharpling on The Best Show on WFMU. Let's check out the interview. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a, it's a real pleasure. I have to tell you that I'm probably going to have a hard time at first uh, taking you seriously because I've heard your voice for hours and hours. And in almost every case, when I hear that voice, you are playing some jackass or the other on the radio on the best show. So it may take me a little while to get, get used to you actually being you. That's okay. I, I actually get that a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. So our podcast is called The One You Feed, and it's based on the parable of two wolves where there's a grandfather, and he's talking with his grandson, and he says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us. One is a good wolf, which represents kindness and love and bravery, and the other is a bad wolf, which represents hate and greed and fear and pick your poison. And the grandson stops, and he thinks for a second, he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So what I'd like to start the interview off with is asking you what that parable means to you in your life. You know, obviously it, it, it means you, you try to live your, your life in a way where you are, uh, you know, you're, sh you're engaged in the good, the good side, the good part, parts of yourself, and you treat others and interact with others from that good side. But I also think the more I kind of get into this, that, that, that bad wolf, while maybe it doesn't need to be fed, it, it needs to be acknowledged at least. I think we all have a, a, a light and a dark side. And I think when we ignore that dark side, that's kind of when, when trouble starts to bubble up. I, I, like I said, I, I don't think you need to feed that, that, 
bad wolf, but I do think it needs to be acknowledged and even shown some compassion while not exactly feeding it. Yeah, exactly. I actually think for some of us, that bad wolf is pretty good at feeding himself. Yes. And um, and you're right, but that, that complete suppression and trying to be someone we're not seems to get, get a lot of people into trouble. Yeah, and I, I think that's where a lot of um, dark and, and, and bad behavior comes from. You, you uh, People have that that dark side or the negative side, and they're so afraid of it that they push it down until eventually it, it does kind of show itself in, in the form of bad and negative behavior. Yeah. Um, so I know that you are, I think in our emails, we talked a little bit about how you are a, a reader of, I, I'm never a fan of the, uh, of the term self-help books, but for lack of a better word, I'm going to, I'm going to go with that one. And that you, you tend to read some things in that in that area. Are, are there any books you could uh, talk about that you've read lately that you really like, or maybe just even all-time favorites of yours that, that you've drawn a lot from? Yeah, it's funny. When when I was preparing for today, I, I realized that I, I have tons of these books. I buy them all the time, and a lot of them I have just kind of sat on the shelf. Uh, but I have read a lot of them, and I, I pulled a handful of the ones that I've liked recently. And uh, so... Uh, one is called The Untethered Soul by uh, Michael Singer. And that's kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, examining our, our connection to whatever you want to call it. God is such a loaded word at this point, I think, that uh, I tend not to use that word. But, you know, the, the connection to source or where we're, we're from or where we originated. And that's a, a really good one. I love that. Um, I got this book somewhere on tour and it's it's crazy but i loved it it's called a journey toward forgiveness the afterlife apologies of adolf hitler <laughs> and it's Boy, that, <laughs> yes go ahead that, that sounds like you, that, if i didn't know better i would actually think that that was something you just made up but. i know it sounds insane but it's it, it's you know you you take some of these books with a grain of salt and you just kind of I just read them and see if there's anything in, in there that resonates with me. And this really did. And I, it, it's, obviously it's, it's a guy kind of channeling Hitler on the other side. And, but it's got, it's got a lot of great stuff about self-forgiveness and that, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, whether or not you believe that this guy's actually in touch with Hitler, the, the kernels of, information in there affected me, and, and I, I thought they were really good. One of the first books that I really got into when I, basically I got into this stuff in the, in the late 80s. I, um, um, I was having a really dark time. I, I, I was living in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I was playing in a band, and basically we had gotten signed to Arista Records by Clive Davis. I joined the band, and two months later, we get signed. And I was 19. And it's one of those things where you think everything's, wow, this is exactly what I want to do. The ball is rolling. I didn't really have to pay too many dues, and I've got, I'm on a major label. And then, of course, things went to shit pretty, pretty immediately. And I just kind of found myself in this depression. And I realized a lot of it was kind of rooted in 
childhood. My dad had an alcohol problem when, when he was, uh, when I was like 13, 14, 15. And so a lot of that stuff kind of started coming up. And uh, along with a lot of kind of ch- church damage that I think a lot of people suffer when they're kids. The, the church I went to was not at all oppressive, but I just kind of developed this massive fear of religion and dying. And so I discovered this book called We Don't Die, just in, in the mall that I worked at. I worked at a, at a record store and it's by a guy named Joel Martin. And basically it's just sort of talking about near-death experiences and and that. And that was kind of the first thing that really hooked me into this. And then I, I found a book by um, a woman named Pat... Pat Rodegast, R-O-D-E-G-A-S-T, and she was a, um, she was kind of a, a, uh, a friend of Ram Dass's, and it's basically, it's also a kind of channeled book too, uh, this energy called, called Emmanuel, it's basically at our core we are loved and we are love, etc., and so th- that, that kind of really got me through that, this dark time, and from there, I just kind of got into more and more of these books like Papaji and uh, Byron Katie and Wayne, Dwa- uh, Wayne Dyer and Neil Donald Walsh, all, all that stuff. So you've, you, you got into that in an original time when you, were, when you were struggling a little bit in a, in a dark period. Yeah. Which, which could have probably been uh, from the label thing or maybe just working in a mall in the record store. That might have been the, the whole problem right there. It, it, it certainly was. My darkest, <laughs> my darkest days were, were at the record bar. <laughs> they, really, yeah. they really were. <laughs> the only thing, it could be worse if you had to work in a guitar store. I think that might be the third level of hell. Much louder, um, Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a period then you've, you've, you've clearly kept that interest. Has depressions been something that you have wrestled with on and off since then? Yeah. And you've, you've gone back to these sources as, as things to sort of help keep you, keep you, uh, out of that. Yeah. And, and that's why I keep all these books too, because I I do actually go back to them. Even if I haven't read one of these for 10 years, I'll, I'll often be compelled to go over to the bookshelf and pick up the book that I read 10 years ago that helped me that I hadn't thought about in 10 years. Um, so yeah, they they, um, they, they help, help me get, get through a lot. I've, I've, I've been engaged in therapy for the last couple of years too. And that, that's been very helpful and you know, um, it's kind of where I am. So, so you brought up church damage and, and one of the things I've heard you talk about before is I think you keep a list of words that you hate or the, the most hated words or it, what's it called? It, it's it's called word hate trademark. <laughs> okay, and, and and I think I heard you once saying that you, when you when you analyze that, you realize that an awful lot of those words came from uh, they were from a church setting. Yes, and like I said, my church was not oppressive at all. Somehow, I just I just it it never felt right to me. And, and uh, but a lot of these words that I don't like, and they're, they're just like, I, I just have a, an immediate discomfort when I hear them. And, and they're all kind of based in the church I went to. And they're all food-related, too. I guess, I guess when I was a kid, they served food after the church service. So meal, I don't like. Uh, covered dish, I don't like. <laughs> um, there's a, <laughs> I always refer to this. When, uh, when Obama was inaugurated the first time he had a a a, a brunch there's another word uh 
after he was he was sworn in, and it's online, it's on YouTube. Uh, the I think his name was I think Barry Black was 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 the minister who did the the prayer, another word, at this brunch, and he managed to hit like twenty of these words in in his prayer. And so, if you go online and, and you search this, you'll you'll hear twenty of the of my my least favorite words of all time, kind of just flying out there. Where where is where's cold cuts? Did oh, cold, cold, cuts? Cold, cold cuts is in there too. Which, but that's that's a that's a term I I rarely hear anymore. But that's that, that's a good one. Thank you for yeah. for reminding yeah. me. <laughs> that, oh, that's definitely one of mine. I don't know what it is yeah. about that word, cold cuts. Yeah. So, what are some of the most recent entries to to word hate and and how many uh, words are in it? Uh, you know, I've never ke- I've never kept a full. Uh, 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 List, which I probably should do, but I'm kind of into the fact that I don't have a, a written list. Um, recent ones, mouthfeel. Do you know mouthfeel? Yeah, uh, I think it's foodies use it. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, Unless it's used in in, a, in, a, in an erotic sense, then maybe we could. Then I'm we in, could get I'm, we could get around. You could get into mouthfeel. I'm, right? I'm very into that. Then yes. Um, my main problems right now are, are these these commercials that have. Walt, every commercial now has a ukulele in it. Yes. That is that is killing me. There's a lot of ukulele music on commercials, and there's a lot of ukulele music in new podcasts. Yes. That's the other thing I've noticed. It, yes. it does seem to be does seem to be everywhere all of a sudden the last two years. And, the, and when I hear it, I think of a Volkswagen commercial. I don't know oh, why, yeah. but that's what it, it brings up in my mind. The whistling Not and I, tapping and the stomping, that's a whole thing now, too. The whistling. Oh, yeah. Actually, we've got. I think there's a ukulele in there's this room. This we could room. make. Uh, we could make my uh, co-host here play yeah. a ukulele song yeah. with uh, all of the word hate uh, words. But but see, I'm glad you brought this up because all of this, all of these things are things I need to get over. Like my my, I shouldn't be bothered by this stuff. So that's that's something I'm trying to work out to why why does a ukulele bother like i take personal <laughs> offense to it like it's i take things way too personally and and like yeah i take personally the fact that this ad agency approved this ukulele in this commercial what does that what does that say about me i'm not sure chris any ideas i was wondering if there was maybe some childhood trauma involved with the ukulele. No, you know what like, this show, show me on the ukulele where <laughs> Uncle Billy touched you. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think what it is, is, you know, I, I have a distrust of anyone that has never been into punk rock. Like that, that <laughs> bothers me. And so this whole sort of teensification of music and stuff bothers me. Like everything is tiny now, you know? Like the like the whistling and the ukulele, so it's so far away from punk that that it, it bothers me. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think what I think is interesting is when you just said that, I thought about Chris was sort of acknowledging too, like that sort of distrust of people who weren't into punk music. And I was thinking, I used to have that a lot. And I think I still have a little bit of it, but I've spent enough time uh, at this point. I do, I've done a lot of different consulting work. So I've been in the, in the, in the corporate world on and off enough that I've sort of just 
it's just been worn out of me yeah. over time of just like and realizing like oh yeah that guy didn't like uh, the replacements and he doesn't really know who Black Flag is but he's still a pretty decent guy exactly right? like we can have lunch there's you know he hasn't he hasn't committed any crime against against humanity mm-hmm. but it but my initial reaction is is to go there but now that you mentioned I noticed that decreasing over time through uh, yeah. you know forced exposure one of my many problems. <laughs> <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of the things we talk a lot about on this show is living by your values. To do this, you need to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've always found therapy a really powerful tool for getting clear on what matters to me the most. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com feed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot feed. One of the one of the uh, one of the bits you do as you call into Tom Sharpling and you play a variety of of characters. One of the one of the things you go back to all the time is mispronouncing words. Yes, uh, is that is that tied to the to the to the word hate thing? And in, in, does he does that, Sharpling have a similar uh, aversion? We we have words. Tom will have a word that really bothers him, and he will. We'll write it into a bit, and then he will just he will say, "I want you to say that word seven times." Like I want you to say it over and over again until until I just tell you to stop. Now, I'm trying to think of an example of, of one of those words. Um, uh, buffet. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But the 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 malapropisms. I'm not sure where that started, but th- there's the funniest thing to to us is someone who is dead certain of either a fact or, or like we're talking about a, a, a pronunciation. And then when they're called on it, they can't believe that, that they're wrong. And right. And Oh, it, it is hilarious. Yeah. Like I'll mispronounce the word. And then what, what do you think it is? And then he'll say it, 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 it actually a, a real life ver- uh, example of that was, do you, do you know Howard Stern show? Sure. Gary, the you know the the assistant guy, his his nickname is Baba Booey, and I guess the mm-hmm. way that originated was he he was he came in one day and he was talking about he had bought these these animation cells, and 
he's kind of rattling off the characters of the cells that he bought, and one of them was supposed to be Baba Louie, and he pronounced he, he mispronounced it as Baba Booey, and they just get on him so much for this, and 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 he eventually goes, well, what is it? It's it's Baba Booey, right? And of course, for the next thirty years or whatever, he has had to suffer with this this name. Yeah, that's a stick that works r- remarkably well. Uh, the you know, and the, the other one, one of the ones you've done on the on the best show that my kids and I were cracking up over was when you were you were a basketball coach and you were talking about Bobby Knight and Sug Knight that they were in the same family. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, and you were so adamant that it absolutely Gotta was be. true. And it's yeah, it's good good stuff. Do you have a favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite character? Out of out of those that you play, the the one that is closest to me, and the one that's my natural default one to go into is is Philly Boy Roy, and because um, I I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, and people don't really believe believe that that's a real accent because it's obviously I do an extreme version of it, but um, it's a that's a real accent around there. It's crazy. It's almost English. It's it's very close to Baltimore, the Baltimore accent, and um, so it's it's based on a, on a, a few different people that I I knew when I was younger, and it's it's just it's just an easy persona to throw on. So the best show recently uh, ended, and um, it it's it seems like it really uh, picked up a lot of steam and popularity. It ended, I think, at the at the peak of its popularity, and and I saw the article today. Uh, I think it was today on the AV Club that was a really good article about the ending. What are you guys up to now? Because I, I think I've I've heard that you and you and Tom are on to other things in the comedy realm. Yeah, we are just just working on that right now. We we've, we've got a bunch of bunch of irons in the fire, and um, we definitely want to keep the show alive uh, in a venue that. You know that is that is a venue that we're able to actually make some money in. That was that was a, a thing that was that was tough over the years. We did this thing for thirteen years, and we loved doing it. But it, it was kind of tough after a while. We're wow, we're 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 not making any, anything off this at all, and 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 seeing other people doing that. You know, so so finally we just decided that you know let's let's see if we can. Try it somewhere else, and we love FMU. You know, we couldn't have asked for a better, a, a better venue to do it in. You know, who who else is going to let us do these thirty-five, forty-five minute uninterrupted calls? You know, there just is, is nowhere else that would where we could do that and reach that many people. But it just kind of reached its its end. You're you on the road pretty consistently? Yeah, somewhere around um, uh, two thousand and and eight. I just really started. It was it was interesting. I, I moved to New York City uh, to Brooklyn with with my my then girlfriend, and we ended up splitting up. And it was right at the same time that I started getting all these these gigs, like Bob Mold and the Mountain Goats and Super Chunk started getting back uh, into into business. And I was playing with Carl Newman from the the New Pornographers. And so since then, it's been you know five six years of of touring with never more than th- three weeks of a break. And um, that, that's also when my, my decision to stop drinking came about also uh, was during those, those first couple years of, of the nonstop touring where, you know, you find yourself between loading in your gear and loading out at the end of the night. You, wow. I had eight drinks, you know, and 
and every day for two years. And that, that kind of took its toll. So that, that's another reason for what we're talking about tonight. You know, the, the, the self-awareness and the self-improvement and, and that. Did you find that that drinking uh, exacerbated? Depression? Yeah. Um, and I realized it, all, it always felt like, like false happiness. You know what I mean? Like it, it almost felt like cheating to me to, to be drunk because you're just not dealing with your, your actual problems. You're, you're just kind of covering them up. And, and then you wake up the next day and you feel terrible. You feel terrible about yourself. And it just kind of repeats itself. And I completely understand why anybody in a rock band drinks, you know, because it's so boring too. It, 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 you're you're doing nothing for basically twenty hours a day, pretty much. And right. so I started to really drink on a, on a tour that Superchunk did of Europe in '96, where I was just drinking to get through the day at that point. And I thought, God, this was terrible. And that didn't force me to stop at all, but. You know, it all catches up with you at some point. Yeah, I think it's it's that cycle that you talk about about over and over and over again. I know people in my life who who drink and they go out and they've had a shitty day and they go have some drinks and they feel better and it's fine, right? They just do it once uh-huh. in a while and the, and there's and there's nothing to it. And I don't think it stops them from getting to the things that they need to address in their life. Where some of us, on the other hand, it's that desire to cover up the problems and to feel different is so strong that that it just becomes a constant thing. Has it been a challenge for you? Because you are in a situation, you're in a rock and roll lifestyle, which to some degree is certainly uh, surrounded by and, and associated with. Drinking. Yeah, you're. It, it, it is like the the worst possible scenario for someone who who was who trying to to deal with that. You just you have free alcohol. All all night long, right. and but I I read this book uh by by this guy named Alan Carr who uh English guy and he he wrote a book called um, the Easy Way to Stop Smoking, and he he wrote a, a, an alcohol one also the Easy Way to Stop Drinking, and that that kind of worked for me. It, it I I read it and you kind of you you still drink as you read this book, and then at the end of the book you have what is in theory your last drink, and coming up in June that'll be five years since I finish that book and um somehow being around the alcohol at the, at, at clubs or whatever it, it wasn't a big thing because it, it's more important to me to to feel good and um i get when i started touring without it i would get this weird high or thrill of going out in front of a couple thousand people or whatever and playing sober i, I got i got a, a lot of I don't know, pride, I guess, coming off stage and thinking, wow, I did that completely sober. Yeah, it, I just never stopped, really, which is, which is uh, it, it's been easy for me, thankfully. Yeah, that's good. It's, it sounds like you've got the positive reinforcement of it. My, uh, my partner here, Chris, uh, read that book and used it to stop smoking. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. And, and also my dad, who I mentioned earlier. My, my dad, as I said, struggled with alcoholism when I was in my teens, and he is a major success story and a major inspiration to me. He hasn't, I don't think he's had a drink since maybe 87 or something. So, you know, he, he's been a real source of, of help and, and guidance also.
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. One of the things that, at least for, for myself, that I know, back to the theme of, of feeding your good wolf or of finding positive inspiration is certain, is music in general and then maybe particularly certain types of music or certain artists. Is there, is there any particular musicians or bands that, that give you that same sort of feeling or that, that positive inspiration? Yeah, I, I think like a lot of people, you, you take the most inspiration and, and the, the, the most um, excitement from the music you, you liked when you were first getting into music. Like, and so for me, that would be London Kong by The Clash was, was, was the record that really just made the hugest impression on me when that, when that came out. I remember buying it. I, I, I was lucky to find a copy in New York City. I, was, I went there with my, my mom and dad and my brother to see West Side Story. And, and I was able to find one copy of it that didn't have a parental sticker on it. That, that album, when it came out, had a, an offensive lyric sticker on it. But this one didn't. So... That was a record that made a huge impact on me, and and then you know I I loved um, those first you know when when REM started putting records I loved that stuff and, and Husker Du and I'm so lucky to play with Bob Mold and I get to play a lot of those songs uh, replacements Paul Westerberg um, you know a lot of that stuff and I find myself going back to that and and those are the records that still still give me the chills. We must uh, we must be similarly oh, aged because yeah. all those records and times pretty much uh, pretty much ring true. How did you get started into playing music? Because you you said by the time you were nineteen, you had moved to a new town to join a band that seems like they were on their way and and had a major record label deal. When and how did you get started? Well, I I, I just always liked um, seeing bands on on TV, like like American Bandstand and and th- those kind of t- TV shows. And I, I always focus on the drummer. And like as, when you're a kid, drums are just sort of exotic. Like they look they look cool, and and you just you just want to touch them and beat on them. So uh, I I took lessons for like six months, and I didn't like the lessons because when you, when you're a kid, you're just given this little drum pad, and you you have to kind of do these rudiments and none of it is fun <laughs> and, and you know yep, and yep. so I stopped but but then I, I still wanted to play the drums my parents I was so lucky to have supportive parents I come from a very non-musical family nobody really played an instrument and um, they gave me a drum kit when I was 12 and I just started playing on that and then I started taking lessons a couple years later and I like that. I learned a lot there from around four, 13, 14, 15. And then I just started playing along with records. The first record I ever played, I, I, I remember, was uh, Graham, Parsons, uh, uh, Graham Parker squeezing out sparks. And I found out if you had headphones that, were, you know, that blocked enough sound, you could play along with and you could hear yourself. And that's where I learned a lot of my technique and all of that. And, and then just started playing in bands around Philly. And then uh, in 80... Six, I joined this band called The Right Profile that was down in Winston-Salem. And 
quick side note, one of the founding members of that is a guy named Stephen Dubner, and he co-wrote the, the, um, the Freakonomics books. So yeah. um, he, he was the guy out of all of us <laughs> that did the best. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool, yeah. Although you're not, uh, you're not doing too bad. You're, you're making, a, making a living doing yeah, what you love. Yeah. So. Well, I think we're kind of at, at around the, uh, the end of the show. Is there anything else on the, the theme of the show that you would want to cover or anything in general that we haven't talked about? What's the phrase? And I, I, it's a phrase that I always come back to when I get judgmental about someone's behavior or whatever, and, and that is we, we're all works in progress. And I think that's true about everybody. I, I think the key is to have a level of self-awareness. A lot of people don't seem to have that. And I think if we could just be aware of how we interact with people and how we want to be treated, that I think the world would be a better place. Yeah, remember, remembering that the work in progress piece is really, is really good. It is, uh, it is easy to, to uh, fall into judgment. And as I've gotten older, I've realized how unpleasant that feels on the inside for me. It does. Yeah, it does. And uh, one thing I, I'm really working on is, like you said, how, how that feels. How do things feel? If it, it, it doesn't feel good to judge someone. It doesn't feel good to judge or to be judged or to, to treat someone poorly or to be treated. So you, you just have to be aware of also how that makes you feel. And that will, I think, dictate how you behave also, hopefully. Exactly. Well, thanks so much for, for joining us. I will uh, be looking forward to whatever the next... Uh, thing that the the Worcester and Sharpling team do. Uh, we'll have links to all your various projects and places to get your your comedy and, and music uh, on our show notes. Thank you so much for yeah, having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks, John. All right. Yeah, Thank you. Bye. Bye. You can learn more about John Worcester and this podcast at oneufeed.net slash Worcester. That's W-U-R-S-T-E-R, in case you didn't know. Also, uh, we've loved getting emails and comments from everybody. So if you can, get on oneufeed.net and contact us. Let us know what you think. Thanks. This is everything that John Worcester hates right here. Come over today and we'll make some crafts We'll have a fellowship luncheon while we eat some snacks You can reap the rewards of an amazing meal A covered dish casserole with good mouthfeel After the luncheon, we'll drink a loaf of tea You'll be dancing in your panties with a full belly By then you'll be nourished and feeling calm And we'll go to the grocer and we'll buy some balm God, I really had to shoehorn some of those words into there. Kind of made me hate myself even for doing that. I think I'm going to go feed my bad wolf just to cope. Actually, I'm going to feed my good wolf to my bad wolf. <laughs>